Welcome back, everyone, to another Black Create Connect podcast episode, where I speak for some of the most influential, inspirational, game-changing black leaders across the world, okay? And today, I'm here with Oyin Adibayo. It's lovely to be here. Who is the CEO and founder of the Neo Group. Yes. And you have two sides to have the camp side. Mm-hmm. And you have the AR, AR, AI side as well, which yeah. I want to go into. Yeah, sure. Which is, by the way, amazing. I've <laughs> never seen anything like it. You know the Thank things you. that you, you actually ima- imagine in your head? I wish I, there was an app that did this. Really? Yeah, <laughs> and it happened. You've created it. Oh, yeah. So welcome. I don't want to go off any notes. I just want to... Chat. Just, yeah, just just chat to you. It's good. How are you? How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Um, I feel like at the moment, um, there's a lot of building that's happening, a lot of building behind the scenes, which is really exciting. But also, you know, when you're building, you can feel like you're, there's a little bit of FOMO in the action, I guess. Um, so I've, I've just had to learn over the last, I guess, few months just to appreciate the season of just building. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, but in general, I'm good. Um, a lot of people keep saying to me, oh my gosh, I'm seeing the bits you guys are doing on social media. And I just genuinely don't feel like that because I'm like, Why? Because, I, I, because I just think there's so much more we're doing behind the scenes. That a lot of people don't get to see. You're literally seeing literally the one percent of what we're doing behind the scenes. This is one percent. You <laughs> doing everything that you've done so far is one percent. It's literally the. It's just the starting, um, and so there's that. There's that kind of like, I'm grateful for how far we've come, mm. but the frustration of oh my gosh, I just can't wait for for us to be able to push mm. out some of these things that we're doing mm. even more. So, yeah. Why are you frustrated? <laughs> what am I frustrated? Yeah. I think I don't know. I don't know about you, but with visionaries. I don't know if you ever, like, I do, I, I'm one person that really, really is very grateful and I feel gratitude for where I've come and the responsibilities I have. Mm. But it also comes with a burden of, there's so much more that mm. can happen and can, 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 yeah, that we can do. Mm. Um, I guess the reason of frustration is, is that, but also um, we've grown to a specific extent. And you know, you just naturally think that the journey of growth is like, it's like a hockey stick. It's not. It's not a hockey stick. It's, yeah, yeah. it's actually quite, you know, it's not as linear as we think it is. Oh. And so for me, it feels like, okay, we're in that building phase where it's, we're, we're not like, we're not necessarily, you know, about to die or whatever. But like, it's it's like, we're not, we're not at the stage where we want to really be. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's all going to come together. It, yeah, will. And it will, 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 will pan out. Yeah, it will. I feel like whenever, like like yourself, I have big visions and goals and everything as well. And I get, I, I understand because I get frustrated because I'm like, I'm nowhere near. And everyone's, when I'm, if I do something really small, someone says, oh, that's amazing. I'm like, you don't understand. This is like the tip of the iceberg <laughs> for me. But at the same time, what gives me peace is looking back three years ago. Right. And where you've come from, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, just like, just looking back as even one year ago mm-hmm. and saying, look at what I've achieved in the past year or so. Mm-hmm. So I think you should find much, so much comfort because mm-hmm. you've done so much. But one thing I like to do with a lot of my guests mm-hmm. before I get onto what they're doing now is go back to their journey. Mm-hmm. And wherever it started for you, everyone's got their point. As to where it started, it might have started from school, from college, in the working world. But when did your actual journey start? When did it start? Do you know what I think? Um, when God created me. Amen. <laughs> I love that. He he 
he had a purpose for me personally and um and you know like there's some people who just try things i don't think i'm one of those triers i genuinely think and it's not just me i think it's just the, my family like my blood i think god was very intentional about how he created us and what he wanted us to do on this earth and even if god did not do that my parents did a good job at really solidifying that in us and how does this link to where it started i think from a very young age at the age of seven i kind of knew this thing inside of me that i knew that i just wanted to change the world and i look at my little brother seven yeah yeah yeah. that's uh, that was literally my what i wanted to like i knew that that was what i wanted to do like um but i couldn't put a language to it i I, I didn't know what what that looked like and i look at my little brother now i've got a little brother that's 11 bless him and all he wants to do is to create he just wants to create so he will he would create animations on his phone non-stop he can make cartoons non-stop and all he knows is that he just wants to create but he doesn't have a job title to it but he doesn't want to he will say i want to create and i don't want to have to work hard in my life what he means is that he doesn't want (laughs) he's gonna live a soft life just creating and so for me when i was that age it was i wanted to change the world because i was this kid who saw a lot of problems and i wanted to always solve it but at the same time my dad my late dad god bless his soul um would was like a um an estate estate surveyor and he had his own um estate management firm in nigeria and he will have contract with large telecommunication companies in nigeria where he will plant like telecommunication mast in villages in nigeria so that people can actually have phones and connect with people so he was responsible for a lot of that kind of project but then what will happen is that at that age i will sit down with my dad and he would basically collaborate with me on this these proposals and these at seven at seven yeah because no <laughs> at, that, that, it's amazing that, it's weird because at that age i was i was like weirdly just so bright and like the way i think he i don't know i can't i can't remember myself at seven but what i what i recall the kind of things that my dad would tell me mm. is that he would ask me, what do you think of this? And I would give him an Your I, opinion. my yeah, opinion. Yeah. And he would use that in his proposals. And so from that point, I knew that I wanted to change the world and I wanted to do it the way my dad was doing it. And I remember it was interesting because um, there was one time where my dad had planted a telecommunication mast in a village or in an area in Nigeria and then we went to the you know i don't know if you remember that you know how phone boxes now we had yeah yeah yeah. he yeah, went yeah. to a, a phone box equivalent in nigeria yeah. and he dialed the phone and after he had got his contractors to, to plant it and i remember the excitement that came from him being able to dial the phone and call my grandma in that area and what that just sparked something inside of me like That's wow i want to change the world and i want to do something that actually works yeah to bring people together, together yeah. and to make the world be better connected to mm. build something meaningful so that's how it all started but then i don't really know what that path looked like and so what i will find myself doing from that age was you know i um would you know i moved to the uk when i was 13 Okay, so um, you were born in Nigeria yeah. and you grew up in Nigeria. Yeah, I okay. grew up in Nigeria. So I did like junior high school in Nigeria. Mm-hmm. Went to a Nigerian boarding school and I was moved here suddenly at the age of 13. You know, people get moved back because they're naughty. The reason why I got moved here was because my parents believed that I was really smart and they needed me here or something. But anyway, yeah. I moved here. By yourself or with your family? So my my mom was already here. My, my younger siblings were already here. I was the only one living with my dad in Nigeria because 
my mom and dad were together, but my dad couldn't see himself here because there was no opportunities for what he was trying to do here. Right. Um, so anyway, I moved here at the age of 13. And I just, that, with that person that always saw problems and wanted to solve it, the first problem that I got, I, I got encountered with mm. was people thinking that I was not smart enough because of my accent or because I've just come from Nigeria. And the, pre -qu the questions I would get about whether I was capable and mind you I'd just finished we call it grade nine in my school but yeah. year nine I was being demoted back to year eight because of my age and Nigeria is about ability rather than age right so, so they, I, they'll advance you even if you're yeah so even if you're you. yeah so so I got I got demoted back to year eight and my mom was trying to prove that I could do it and so we we signed up to like different things like I was part of like Mensa and lots of different things in, in school at the mm. time and I remember like the kids in school used to just find it they just used to kind of ask me really weird questions about Africa and then I just I just couldn't like relate like what like you know um do you live in hearts or you know <laughs> they used to ask you that yeah yeah because they <laughs> these are things that you assume we talk about and we're like oh yeah that's what people that are not black think but but I, I went to a white school that. yeah so I mean oh, wow. I, I, I live in Birmingham so I went to like literally I was one of the only black people in my school so I got asked these questions you know and how did you respond as a child so as a child I was just like this is it was super weird to me I was like, no, of course not. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, mm. I've never been to a heart in my life. Like, and like, also on top of that, um, like, coming from a school where being smart was cool, to now coming to a school where being smart was not so cool, mm. and being wanting to attain height was not so cool. I remember wanting to solve that problem. So it was interesting because um, at, around that time, Chimamand. Chimamanda Adichie, who is like a Nigerian author, did a TED talk about something called the, the danger of the single story. And I began to share it across the school. Like, you know, all of you need to listen to this TED talk because this is what Africa, you know, this is basically what I've been trying to tell you. And so anyway, I was doing all of that. And I realized I wanted to change the narrative of how people saw Africa. Africa right. And I knew that I wanted to solve the problems of where I was coming from because I loved where I was coming from I didn't want to move here I, I only settled here really at the age of 19 um I moved here when I was 12 13 I think I only settled here because I didn't really want to move I was just moved by my parents um and so so I just yeah I knew that I wanted to change that narrative and I wanted to change the world somehow but then I also also saw a lot of like sexual um misconduct that was happening in my in my community and actually at the age of 14 I won an award um my, in my community called the unsung hero award because what i would do i would find a lot of girls i'll see a lot of girls who were sexually exploited and i would like literally help them I literally That's to create, yeah it was but, so weird but, but, but how did you find them so Where? people will come to me and just like in school yeah this is in school this was also in my community people will come to me and i will see i would notice certain things because i don't know i just have an eye to see problems i wanted to solve it and i'll create like groups and advise groups together with people and just kind of help them with what they could do better and these kids these girls were also quite classed as naughty girls in school so I won awards for that at 14 and I still have that award um plaque in my in my house actually and like those little things and I became very passionate about social action and just going on that journey about social action I remember I joined um I was a part of um a, a group called called Yak which is part of alcohol concern at the time when you was 14 
14, 15, yeah. I helped. Wow. Uh, yeah, I was. I worked with the like um, the trading standards um, and the alcohol concern charity. I don't know if they're still around now, but they were in charge of the dry January campaign and I helped to form that. I helped to kind of, you know, look at adverts that was on TV and that was... That's, but that's, it's, it sounds really good. Yeah. But my thing is, you were 14. So what exposure did you have or knowledge did you have to like alcohol abuse and like... What At 14, this is the area I, I grew up in. People, I, I was shocked and that's why I, I saw it as a problem because where right. I was coming from in Nigeria... Why are you drinking and getting drunk at 14? Why are you being sexually exposed? Like, that's not something I was used to. And I saw it as a problem and I wanted to Fix do it. something about yeah. it. Because it was so cool to get drunk at that age. I mean, like, I didn't necessarily take part in that, but that was what was happening. And I'm thinking about it now. I'm, like, a lot older. I'm thinking about, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a bit... Because the thing is, what you're doing, it was, it's, it's exceptional, mm. but it's very serious. <laughs> it's very serious. So, like, as a child, when I think back to, like, 14... There was no way I was doing anything that serious. I think I was just, I was a child. Like I was a teenager just in, causing may mayhem. Yeah. So probably one of them, I wasn't drinking at 14, but you know. So did you enjoy your childhood or was you always like serious problem solver? Like what? I was very serious as a child. Yeah, I was actually, like um, I think I enjoyed it, but I was very, I was a very serious child. Um, in the sense that I wouldn't say I was a, I, I wasn't a player. I just really, and also like, I think the discipline that I had when I was growing up from boarding school, it wasn't abusive necessarily, but it was just a good, like I was just, it was a strong discipline routine that I went through. And like the discipline that I had at home in terms of like, what you, this is the time to play, this is the time to not so play. Um, helped me look, to look a bit serious here, but for me, it was just living. It was just being. So you didn't even think anything of it? You yeah. Just I think it was until, until like when I turned about 22 then I realized okay you know you're being way too serious and I started to relax a little bit but like when I mean relaxed it wasn't like I, I let go of like my mission or like going for the kill but I just took life a little bit less less serious um and it had it has pros and cons if, if that makes sense so yeah so I've just had I guess it's just part of how I yeah. I am that's what I said when I started the conversation with you about I feel like when God created me created me for a purpose mm. and like that purpose started from from young mm. um and so yeah um I could keep going on but anyway the way that journey panned out was I was doing hair on the side I was you know what type of hair weave or braid mostly braids, braids to be honest how much were you charging back in the day because, oh my gosh because you, you know there's now a thousand pounds <laughs> everyone's talking <laughs> about a thousand pounds everyone's so. talking about a thousand <laughs> what, uh, how much were you charging back in the day big and what's interesting is actually when i moved to the uk i was just shocked about why my mom was paying i don't know what was it 70 pounds or something like that at the time back in the day yeah for i mean what? this is in birmingham that, no, but that's a lot for back in the for day braids. for braids mm -hmm. but that's it's birmingham so because it was saturated, it was more expensive there. Eh? No, it's it's less saturated. So, no. so it's le like there's less people doing it, I guess. Yeah, okay, yeah, sorry, yeah. So then they'll be more expensive. Got you. Right, so this my sister and I, I yeah, I remember my mum used to pay like £70 per person. Or, and I just thought, oh, this is so expensive. So like, why don't I just do it? And I remember I used to watch one of my stewards at home braid hair or mm. braid our hair. And I just remember just catching it, but I never practiced. I started doing my sister's hair. And people would ask my mom, who did your, your daughter's, and I also do my own hair. Who did your daughter's hair then? 
then she would start to tell everybody that I did it. So I grew my clientele for just me and my sister to about a hundred people by the age of I think eighteen or so, and a thousand people by twenty one. And at that time, I was charging about did, twenty thirty pounds. To, to but how me. did you count all of that as well? Like at that I, young- I, I kept an Excel spreadsheet. Yeah, yeah, you were serious. <laughs> you were, you were serious. Like, I only started to activate Excel in university when I had to. Like you, you so you kept a spreadsheet and you had all your clients there. Was that like a CRM platform for you? So would you check in on there? Yeah. To see? So it was, yeah. And also, I actually knew exactly how much I was earning and everything like that. Oh wow. Um and and whatnot. So yeah, I still we still ha- I still have the spreadsheet actually. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. So how much would you earn on an average month by having those clients on rotation? So um. At that, at that time, people didn't know my age, actually. I never told anyone my age. So people used to think I was, like, 20 at the age of 14. If, if they knew my age, a lot of them would have just said, yeah. don't come and do my hair. Yeah. Like, it would feel like child labor. Um, so, like, I could have... So, so during Christmas time, I think there was one Christmas where I made a £1,000 in a week or something like that at the time. And it's interesting, actually, like, now, like, in, I think, two or three years... Well, no, four years ago, I taught an eight-year-old girl myself and my team taught an eight-year-old girl how to braid and she's she now makes two thousand pounds you know and now she's no she's no longer eight she's about 12 now and well, like that's brilliant which she's is great an, so yeah. it's great that she's been able to, to to do that so yeah that's amazing so i'm guessing you don't obviously you don't do hair anymore because it's so time yeah. consuming <laughs> well. it takes so much time honestly <laughs> I, I had my probably one year two year phase of doing weaves and i thought this is long it's, <laughs> it's just, it takes up too much time mm. so i did that out of interest what did you what did your mom do at the time my mom was a nurse and she ah. was a nurse. Um, but she's always been a saleswoman for anything that she would sell. <laughs> my, right. my mom is my ultimate saleswoman. All of her kids anyway. Did she take a cut from your... Um, no. She, no. She left you, she left you no. all, all the money? My mom never does that. She'll never take a cut. Never. She'll that's, never take a cut. Nope. That's, amazing. that's surprising yeah. though. But I was also her accountant. Like So when she would do her little side hustles, she would sell her little kettles with her nurse mm. friend. I would always help her. So like... I don't know, like, in my family, we don't, yeah, like, we just help each other. So it's, And that's it. Yeah, like, it's, she doesn't take a cut, no. That's, that's very, very surprising. Because mm-hmm. even in general households, forget about race for a second, like, some parents would if their 14-year-old child has taken home that money, you know? So that's, it's good that you didn't have that. No. So, you, you did that for a bit. What were you really gravitating towards when it came to studying so I'm guessing you went to, obviously went to college and mm-hmm. studied further. What did you gravitate towards and why? Okay, so this is another um, interesting one. So it's interesting as I was going through the motions. Mm. Um, you know, you do your work experience at, mm-hmm. year, is it year 10? Year 10, year 10. Um, so I, my dad really wanted me to be a doctor as usual, right? <laughs> Or All accountant Africa. or lawyer. Or lawyer. There's right. only three jobs I, I count, have. But accountant was not even that highly rated. It was doctor. But then for me, it was doctor. My sister right. was going to be a lawyer because she's the one that talks a lot. Um, but, um, so we, I actually went to do work experience. So my dad was, so my dad was always like, okay, if you're going to do something, we need to agree together on how you do it. So mm. we now said, okay, why don't you go and do work experience in a hospital? I hated it. I used to cry when I come back from, from the hospital. And so we realized that was not going to be for me. So I knew I wanted to change the world. And, and I used to say I want to be the president of Nigeria at the time. So I, I, oh, wow. I knew that like what that looks like is studying PPE look, because I saw all the world leaders studied politics, philosophy and economics. And my dad was like, what kind of stupid PPE do you want to do? <laughs> do you not believe in um, becoming a politician? No, because 
my, I have family members in politics. He also was in politics for a little while before mm. he left, and he saw the reality of Which being in what? politics. It's not, it's not, it's, it's quite hard in Nigeria, like to do politics in in a way that's integral and oh, also yeah. that's not dangerous as well. So, um, he didn't want me to 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 go down that route. So, mm. he was like, "There's no way you're coming to do politics in this country." In fact, he wanted me to, so he wanted me to do computer science because he was working with Skype at the time. And he was looking at, when when Skype was still a thing, mm. um, with Microsoft, he was looking at what Skype, Microsoft was rolling out in Africa. Mm. And he really wanted me to tap into that. But I honestly just thought it was just so lame. Like the mm. idea, what is that computer yeah, science? That <laughs> no. I'm just, right? Like, I wish somebody told me. I wish I listened to my dad. <laughs> so anyway, we ended up like, negotiating to do economics and management because my cousin who's now an investment banker basically convinced my dad that that was a good degree to do because she did economics and politics mm. so that's what i ended up doing at least i got the economics part of my pp yeah. dream um and then i studied a, a master's in development economics and it was through a lot of that studying the building the clientele that we had um yeah building the clientele that i had studying development economics that actually got me to this place that we are today because we built the clientele to a thousand women a lot of people will sit in my chair a lot of them will come back to me ask me to help them with their cvs ask me to help them with the their jobs. business plans yeah like and because you know you sit and you talk you just get into deep talk and you just like realize that a lot of those people just needed help mm. and so i started to like organize events to bring people together just from your clientele? Yeah. So, and you was doing this whilst you'd done your master's? Or this was my undergrad um, right. at this point when I was in Nottingham. And so first event, there was about 85 people, 75 to 80 people there. And this is when like our CEO and our Laulu literally started helping me to put it together. We did it together. And then the next event, we, we did 150 people. And the whole point of the event was to allow people to leave me alone, literally. like Because I, I just wanted to pursue that dream of being the president of Nigeria. Even uh, after I did that I economics, see. I wanted to become an economist. And my kind of trajectory was economist, then you work in the World Bank, then you become mm. a you know minister of economic or something. Do you know what I mean? Like just yeah, yeah, climb yeah. that ladder. Had it all patterned out together. But no. So, so with your first event, right? That mm -hmm. was 85 people. Mm -hmm. How did you put that together? Who was involved in that event? What was the impact of it? Talk to us about it. Because I think there's a lot of events that take place. I know that was a long time ago, but... Your first ever event, it's good to understand what your key experiences was surrounding that. So first ever event was meant to happen October 2015 or something like that. I can't remember. I cancelled it because I was scared. A lot of people had got in their tickets. I, I said, we're, we're going to cancel. They paid for tickets as well. Yeah. Yeah. Was it free or it was like, it must have been seven pounds or five pounds. I can't remember. But yeah, yeah it wasn't anything big. So I, I just postponed it to February. And the whole aim of it was, it was the event was called Beyond Head. The, the whole aim was about empowerment um, and um, self worth and entrepreneurship. Mm. Um, and I created a journal to basically help people to go through different phases of entrepreneurship on how to build something. So it was Laulu who's our CEO mm. um, now um, that helps me, you know, in that early stage. And honestly, because she felt sorry for me. <laughs> she was like because i was because i was struggling to build i guess the confidence to even 
but she was like let me just help let me just help you and encourage you to just do what you want to do so she really just felt sorry for me and just wanted to really support and like so yeah th- th- so that was that was that and we got a lot of sp- some sponsors like that kind of gave like goodies for the goodie bags um we also you know um i think i think did i get sponsorship from my university at the time to, to for the venue it was a beautiful venue called antenna in, in nottingham um and yes yeah, we had speakers um yeah i don't know if we paid them i can't remember if we paid them yeah. and then we also had like a, a pitch competition where i gave 200 pounds of my own money to a, um, a woman and then they got mentoring for free from myself because a lot of them used to come to me about this and this was in yours in uni as mm-hmm. an undergrad mm-hmm. why do you think they looked up to you i don't know <laughs> i think maybe because because i because i could i gave so much wisdom mm. um and like i know i know i knew quite a lot for my age i'd got i had a lot of experience like i've not spoken about all of the things i've done up until that point i'd done i've been part of our core concern as i mentioned i used to be a, a like um a proxy shareholder for Diageo and McDonald's and these different places. What does that mean? So being a proxy shareholder means that you're a shareholder, but you're standing in, it's it's like a lobbying seat in those organizations. So you buy shares to lobby in those organizations for change. So I was very much, I'll go to the board meetings and I would lobby in front of McDonald's to kind of say, you need to, you need to have better you know conditions for how you like at that time healthy eating was not a thing but how did you get into that like when you was so it, young it was just it, it was just opportunity climbing on opportunities and people just referred you and then yeah said, and you okay, said oh you, you should do, do this you should do that and, you went you should, for it. and i went for it um um and like actually i'll say like one of the pivotal moments that actually unlocked a lot of the opportunities was a, was me taking part in a flash mob at, at school <laughs> because my friends were like oh hey, you would do a flash mob and then the person the organization that came in for that flash mob saw me as really bold and they said do you know what i think you'd, you'd be good to come on board and that's how a lot of those opportunities unlocked, unlocked. um so what i'm yeah. what i'm kind of reading from this mm-hmm. with with your story right is that you've put your you've allowed yourself to put yourself out there mm-hmm. and you've kind of been bold and confident and you've been curious, you've mm-hmm. grasped opportunities, and that's kind of led you to step, step yeah. by step. Mm-hmm. Basically, if you don't move, then you're not going to move. Basically, exactly. You just yeah. got to try things. Yeah. Um, but I think I don't. I think I think for me, I just I wasn't about just trying things because it was cool. It was trying things on on intention and purpose that was meaningful, mm. really. And I still stand by that till today. So mm-hmm. I love that. So with that being said, then you did the first event yes that wasn't officially called neo at the time yeah we weren't called neo hair at the time yeah, yeah. We, we, we started off with neo we've started with neo hair but anyway yeah okay what came first neo hair and neo boot camp it was actually neo hair neo hair it started off with neo hair because i was so my friend at university was it, i don't know if it was after or before this event mm. was like you do hair you've not told anybody because I, I i was gonna take a complete break from doing hair mm. Once I entered into university, I was just going to focus on this career of being the president of Nigeria. Like, honestly. You were that, still thinking focus. That was, that, that that was, was it. it. Yeah. But then I can't remember what happened. And No, so I, I, 
So during the holidays, when mm. I go back home to Birmingham, mm. I'll still have clients during Christmas holidays but, when yeah. I make my big money, right? Yeah. And I one day just posted a lovely photo of a parting, like how I parted someone's braids back then. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, you do hair, you've been hiding. And I was like, yes. So that's when my friend, that was a photographer who was doing, I don't, I can't remember what she was doing. Mm. She's doing a master's in management. She said, we need to take a photo of you. But what are we going to call this hair thing that you do? Right. And I called it hair by Oyen because I felt like I was a little bit forced. Yeah. And I felt like, and then my one of my graphic designer friends was like, this is kind of dead. Like, we need to find something. <laughs> so he then created how a can they, How can they say no, the name did. is kind of dead? I've had crazy, that's me. And looking at me like, this, this ain't it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then he was like, oh, um, so what do we need to call, uh, uh, what mm. do we call this? Mm. And I think I started saying something like flourish hell or something really lame like that. And he was like, what do you think of this? Neo, your name backwards, Oyen backwards. And also N-E-O, the play on the Greek prefix Neo. So you know Neo from the Matrix. Or you know the concept of neocolonialism or neoliberalism. New, young, innovative, young, newness. So like Neo, N-I-Y-O and Oyen backwards. And we're like, that's it. I did not even clock that Neil was your name was Oyen backwards. It didn't even click into me. I thought they were two completely separate names. Yep. I thought Neil might have been someone that inspired you when you was in nursery or something. I don't know what Neil was. That yeah. makes complete sense. And so yeah, yeah. So it started off with Neil hair, um, and at that time, I was just doing a bunch of things like just doing hair. Now, now everyone now knew me. I was getting my work featured in black hair magazine at the time how again because because oh. there's, there's so many people that do hair so <laughs> how did you get featured and not to say that you probably weren't good at hair yeah. you're probably amazing but yeah. how did you get featured in black hair magazine at such a young age it was i think it was i don't know i have an eye for for catching opportunities maybe so i brought three i had this vision of like okay I want to do this hair. If I'm now going to now say I'm going to do this, I need to do it properly and yeah. do it well. So I started this ambassador program and I, like, we still, the videos are still on YouTube. And like, it was like to gather these, diff- this is before influencer thing was the thing. Yeah. Gathered like people who were influential in this, in their little circles and they will become new ambassadors and they tell their own stories. So we filmed videos on it. Then from that point, I was like, okay, I want to have senior ambassadors. And these senior ambassadors, they need to be like really top career women. So I chose a lawyer, sorry, a barrister. And I also chose uh, uh, like a massive um, bag designer. And I said, you know what? I want to use African threading to depict these people as powerful women. And the, the pictures are still there and they're so beautiful. So I took their pictures and I was like, oh, I look, because I used to, you know, buy the black hair magazine. I never saw something like that. And I was like, do you know what? Let me just submit these pictures to the magazine and see what they think. I was like, I've just taken these photos. What do you guys think? Do you want to feature it? And they were like, absolutely. Oh, wow. And they, they, they featured the first one. They featured the second one. Even so today, they're still asking me, like, when next am I going to do something? But I haven't done something like that in a while. But anyway. That's amazing. That's how I got featured. But yeah, like, a lot of the, those different experiences, just, I feel like it's kind of like, unraveled and unraveled and unraveled yeah it sounds like and it sounds like you're like what you said you spot opportunities but you spot it at the right time like your timing's mm-hmm. really good mm-hmm. and perhaps your approach is really good as mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. because i'm sure they've had loads of people email them back in the day to mm-hmm. be featured but mm-hmm. they said yep mm-hmm. this is the one yeah. we like this one mm-hmm. okay 
So talk to us about the progression then of Neo yeah. in general, how yeah. that kind of came about and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll say Neo today almost unraveled from the point where we started those events called Beyond Hair. Cause you know, it was all about beyond your hair. Like you're beyond just you coming to do hair in my, mm. my, my little dormitory at university. And then when we started those events, people asked for more of it. We did the first one. We gave it, I gave a 200 pound grant for people to, the second one I gave, I think it was 500 pounds. And the sec, next one was a thousand and so on and so forth. Um, and like, like as, as we were kind of progressing, we were also teaching, I was now teaching people to, to do hair and also widening, I guess, my team at the time. Mm. And I realized that as I was also doing that and I was doing my, my masters and researching of, how do you truly empower people? Empowerment became a clear thing for me that I wanted to do. And it wasn't just because I had worked in youth organizations and done a lot of the things that I mentioned that I'd done previously. And we used to throw this word of empowerment around, but I never saw it. I just never saw that empowerment thing really actualized. So I, I began to research deeply about empowerment, specifically economic empowerment. And I realized that technology was the way to truly economically empower people. Why? How? How? So, the list of the ladies, remember I kept my CRM <laughs> of them. A lot of them were in jobs that when I did my research at my master's, were going to be automated according to the World Economic Forum report back then. And this was back in 20, was it 2018? And, there were, you know, this report was talking about the rise of artificial intelligence, which we are now facing today, that those jobs are going to be automated. What type of jobs? So jobs like, you know, a lot of people like healthcare workers or um, administration assistants and things like that. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, a lot of people who I supposedly am meant to be accidentally helping are going to face this automation. So why can't, be, why can't they be the people that build the technology then? Mm. And so that was when the DAO clicked. In one of those events that we did, we did a coding class of 40 women in there and they were like, we want more and we want more. And so we started a, our first coding boot camp. And at that time it was called the Black Coder Boot Camp. Mm. And that literally skyrocketed our boot camp business to where it is today. And we're not, again, we're just starting. We're, we're, we're upgrading even into like a rewards-based edtech platform that enables anyone in the world to be able to learn a tech skill or to learn any skill and be rewarded, you know, with swag and with, tech gadgets um once they kind of pass their different programs before they come on to our boot camps so that's the way the elevation has gone if i now talk about the hair and beauty side that's a whole different thing okay well. i want to get to that side <laughs> come back to the first boot camp for those that don't know how a boot camp runs mm -hmm. right what did the first boot camp look like um how did you fund it how did you make profit from it? If, it? if it did make profit, or was it a loss? Mm -hmm. What did last talk talk about the business side of it? Yeah, so the business side of so the first boot camp that we did, um, we did it in partnership with another organization called Coding Black Females because I didn't oh, have any. Charlene. Yeah, Charlene. Charlene. So yeah, Charlene's awesome. Um, we didn't have I didn't have any technical know how. Like I was not a technical person. I was just the economics head. I was the business head, and so like we were like, okay, cool. Um, now, we just want to run a boot camp because we want to bring black women into tech. At this time, like, I don't think many people were were, clocked, like, were doing this. Mm. I actually feel like 
what we did together really unlocked something in the UK. Mm. Um, and um, so we're like, we're going to train 50 women. Um, so you, her herself actually trained them. So it was, no, it was, it was Charlene's team that did the technical training at the time. Mm. Um, and we, we did a lot of like the partnerships and the, you know, employment support and whatnot. Um, so it wasn't her herself. He was, it was, uh, she had a, her a team. Her and the team. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, um, so yeah, like then I, applied, you know, somebody literally emailed me because I, I was pitching what is now near her in beauty in terms of it. I was pitching that mm. and I was in my pitch, I was saying, um, you know, imagine building an app that's built by the women that use it. And I'd, I had no clue how I was going to do that. And someone picked that up from my pitch in the NEC in Birmingham mm. and just emailed me and saying, do you remember you said that at this pitch? And I this person was a stranger, got my email from the pitch and just said, you need to contact these people and write a proposal to these people straight away. I had no clue who this person was, a complete stranger. So I wrote a proposal for funding for it. Um, and my proposal, you know, Charlene really got my mind, opened up my mind to like how we should position ourselves for that proposal. We wrote the curriculum. We literally wrote over Christmas break. It was, li I literally called, I literally found Charlene's like number mm. from my mentor. And like, I called her and she didn't know who I was. And she was like, you're such a stranger. Like, <laughs> so we started just writing this proposal together. And, and, she, and she was completely down. Was she was down. Answer? But because I think it's because she knew my mentor. Got you. Um, but also she, I, like, it was almost like serendipity for both of us. We just knew something was there was gonna happen from yeah, yeah, this yeah. right and i just kept like following up and following up um what to the person that you know with her oh, okay. with her and like unboxing was it boxing day or, or christmas eve we were there sitting down writing the technical part and i put all of them together submitted it we found out in january that we had won this kind of and we were part of the pilot um but, but what what was in it what did you say to convince them to really win to the, really win the, yeah it was it was the fact that nobody was talking about black people in tech at the time. Mm. This was back in 2018 or so, so 2018, 2019. Mm. Um, nobody was no one was talking about it in the way we were trying to talk. Nobody was really committing. And the proposal, when I look back at the proposal, the proposal was was actually bigger than what we ended up delivering. It was actually we were going to get people into blockchain technology. No one was talking about right. blockchain technology. Like we, this is the journey that we want to take them. This is the vision mm. that. That I that I had and Charlene put together the kind of software engineering curriculum, mm. um, and I and I again it wasn't just Charlene I was talking to I actually was talking to other people as well but Charlene was the person who was driving it was driving it yeah. with, together with me other people that I was trying to drive it with it they weren't like driving it they weren't they weren't driving it as well as 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 well as Charlene and, and I was doing it what's the difference I don't know it was just there was just it was serendipity there was a level of give and take yeah, yeah we yeah, were just yeah. bouncing off one another you know like when you just bounce off one another we're just bouncing off one another really well and the other people weren't really on it and then it was interesting after we had won it and announced it to the world we were featured on bbc on on apple Amazing. news like it was huge right everyone was like, oh my the people other people were like oh my gosh wow like i wish i took this seriously seriously and so that was how it happened so it was completely free to the ladies that joined and like we had so many inbound inquiries and and whatnot it was yeah it was just the right thing at the right time so where did the funding go towards what was the so, so, towards training the 
the ladies. So the so you tra- you paid for the trainers to actually train them. Mm-hmm. How long how long was the course for? So for it was thirty weeks at the time. So it's about six six months every um, day. You know, it was three nights a week. Did they get paid? No, it was free. The ladies had to do it for free. Okay. Um, no, they didn't get paid. So yeah, so that was that was what we. That was what the funding did at mm. the time. Um, and yeah, it really... That's amazing. It really, yeah, it it opened up something for both of our companies. And I think after that, that point, we continued to work together. And now we're both running like huge like training companies. Mm, mm. Um, and yeah, it's just... it. As I'm talking now, like it's actually encouraging me because I'm like, wow, they, I have, I've had so many serendipitous moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Sometimes when things feel like they're not working, it all, all comes together come eventually. Because yeah. shortly before that, I, like literally the, the event, like the event that we had the coding class, and was the biggest ever that event that we had. Mm. It was a very, it was loss making. I literally lost so much money. We had huge companies. I'm not even going to mention who they are. Major directors of huge companies promised to sponsor stuff, and I, you know, and they all it all fell through and. Had so many different thing, deals fall through, um, but then it all worked out eventually for our good. So that's amazing. Yeah. And so that that kind of gave you the idea that this is the direction we should go in with the boot camps. Then yeah, and, and I I wasn't even trying to do boot to camps. Do camps. It, just, it kind of just happened. <laughs> I was just trying yeah, to help. Like that. <laughs> I was literally just trying to look at my research, looked at the data that I had, and I think and I thought we need to do something about this. Yeah. Um. So yeah. How do you go about vetting your trainers and making sure that they can deliver on what they deliver on? And then how do you go about selecting the ladies that join the boot camps as well? So the trainers that we have at the moment, I mean, when we first started the journey, when we just focused on, on software engineering, mm. it was essentially delegated to, to, to the Coding Black Females team. Mm. Um, but now when like now that we we run our own like we run data boot camps and, and so on and so forth mm. we actually look for professionals in this in their spheres and we get advice also from university lecturers who are teaching that to help us to vet what they're doing um they go through like rigorous recruitment process like our staff members do right so you see so you just don't hire them and no 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 okay. so although we do headhunt them but they still have to go through a rigorous recruitment process to just to see not just you knowing the stuff we used to also being able to teach now our students however they would apply first um um and then they would have to do a test um and you have to score above 80 percent to be able to get an interview What's in the te- is it is it general it's normally it depends it depends it depends mm. it could be um if you depend on the boot camp it's, it's normally technical technical part so we want to see how you think logically um, right okay so, yeah. so so women can have no technical backgrounds but if they naturally have like a logical way of thinking then they can get onto the boot camp yeah i mean then... yeah you might have no technical background in terms of you've never had a technical job but ideally we want to see your passion for tech and if you're already passionate you're already probably learning bits and bubbles off youtube yeah, or you've yeah. done these course on coursera or you've taken this you've gone to this tech conference we just really want to see that because that would essentially help contribute towards your application. Yeah. But I think even running these bootcamps has taught me so much about actually a, a huge part of a community, the community that we're trying to target aren't really ready for the bootcamps. And so that's why we're building this edtech platform where we build that pipeline and we're truly able to advance people. 
because some people get left behind. We can get yeah. a thousand applications, but we only have space for like 20 people. Um, but like, what's going to happen to the None 980 like, people? Yeah. It's taking them, now, taking them down that pipeline. And some people might not go down that pipeline. Maybe they need to go down. Some, and that's why our edtech platform would essentially be able to look at your behaviors and actually recommend the right courses for you before you end up coming into our boot camps and that's really important as well actually the fact that you've got that because people have different learning styles Mm -hmm. and different ways that they process information and like for me for example give me video and bite size keep it short sweet (laughs) nothing long to read (laughs) and so it's good that you have that i'm guessing you're gonna have variations in that on your edtech platform Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. is it going to be paid for do people have to pay to join it and so yeah it's going to be a SaaS solution where you you pay like a, a yearly fee or a monthly fee um, at the moment, our business model is about £25 a month or okay. £249 a year. Um, but then the boot camps, it's going to be locked f- until you reach a, ma- a specific amount of Neo points. Got you. Um, and also, you know, also partners who sponsor those boot camps um, would be able to choose how many, like, which students they want um, and so on and so forth. Got you. Um, okay. Aside from, like, maybe, like, our, I guess our government-funded boot camps where we will choose to vet them ourselves. um so yeah it's really exciting um and and it's it's rewards based as well um because learning and also we've just learned so much on these boot camps people get so demotivated along the way yeah 30 weeks is is it 30 weeks you said it's no longer 30 weeks it's now it's now been cut down to 16 because of our contract constraints but um that's still long though it's still quite long and it's it's not just it's not just long it's a new skill and it's a hard skill, to, like it's a new hard skill that you're learning. So you need motivations along the way. Yeah. So you know, being able to do this at scale is really, really exciting because we were able to scale beyond the UK, scale to Africa and the US as well. So. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. So at the moment, if you can guess, how many boot camps to date do you think you've done? We have trained 670 women since 2021. <laughs> so, that's in, that's impactful. I know six hundred and seventy. That's impactful. And about seventy percent of them have gone into roles or started their tech businesses. That's incredible. Yeah. That's the change that we need to see. Exactly. That's the impact that we like to see. Like it's not just about talking about it. Do yeah. do okay. So if a tech company wants to get involved with that, mm-hmm. with what you're doing, how yeah. can they get involved? Yeah. So they can email partnerships at neo.co. Um, we have various different ways. So we actually have a talent. I'm not sure when this is going to come out, but we have a talent expo every, literally once every quarter where you can come and see the talent and they present projects to you. And you just basically, so we have a, a, a talent expo for our data students. Um, so yeah, like you can get involved, you know, by maybe hiring from our cohorts or, you know, you can also get involved by maybe sponsoring your own bootcamp, you know, as a kind of way of building pipelines into your organization. Right. Okay. How does it make money? Do you, so to, yeah, just to understand. So our that business bit. model today um, mm. is very much based upon those sponsorships and contracts um, at the moment. Um, okay. So so yeah, that's that's how we make money right now. But like with our edtech platform, it would be very much B two B SaaS. Got you. Um, model. Okay, I saw that you went from two hundred pounds to <laughs> two hundred pounds to, and to you know you know two hundred pounds a week to <laughs> one point four million in sales. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's two, so funny. Okay, why is it funny? Talk, talk to us I about I feel that. like this is everybody's pickup line for, for, for me nowadays. Because, because I, I saw it. So yeah. I was like, I have, I have to ask about it. <laughs> Tell us because what's the secret? <laughs> the secret is just large contracts, which is a pain in the butt sometimes. Um, no, so yeah. Um, yeah, it is just literally building relationship with like key stakeholders. Um, and I think for even like that that income that like turnover that we've had it's not it's a lot more than 1.4 million now but like it's it's not it's still not enough for what we're doing if that makes sense extent of what we're building um and i'm not trying to be ungrateful but it's like there's actually so much more that we could still get from what we're trying what we're what we're building right um so yeah it's literally it's contract it's serendipity moments like what i just said like and I think it's really just been able to look at those moments and grasp them at the right time. Um, yeah. That's incredible. How big is your team at the moment? There's 20 of us at the moment. 20 full-time staff. Obviously, okay. we have tutors as well. And okay. Seven tutors at the moment. Um, so, yeah. And do you look after partnerships yourself? Do you go out and meet the clients? And So, myself, myself and Sephora um, focus on our partnerships at the moment. So, yeah. I, I, I was in... Um, was it business class for Sephora and SFX? Oh, really? Business or accounting, one of the two. Mm. She studied one of them. Okay. I think. Yeah. As well. Hello, Sephora. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Sephora. <laughs> but um, she was always such a pleasant lady. Yeah. But um, that's incredible. So you yeah. have the, you have that side of the business. Yes. You're also, I wanna, I'm going to get into the hair side in a second, mm. but you're also an angel investor. Yes, I am. Yes. Okay. So let, let, let's talk about that. What does that, what does that look like? What does it mean? Mm-hmm. How does it work? You've invested in quite a few businesses. So mm-hmm. again, amazing. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you amazing. so much. Um, so I've been angel investing quietly for the last three years. Okay. Um, but actually when I look back at how I angel invested, I would never angel invest like I did before, like, like I did before. Um, so when I was angel investing quietly, I was angel investing in, in, um, in African businesses. Um, I've, I've invested in two African businesses. One of them is doing really great at the moment. Um, and there's an opportunity that came about through Ada Ventures where I was, I was invited to be part of an angel program where I get to, basically invest Ada Ventures money um, and I basically keep the returns. So I get five, five 10K checks to invest in a year. I've successfully written one check. I'm about to write another one, fingers crossed, probably another two fingers crossed actually um, over the next few weeks. And um, if everything goes well. Um, and the way it works is essentially if you have an idea, if it's VC, if I feel like it's, scalable to VC rate um and not every business just because your your business is not VC backable doesn't mean it's not a great business by the way um then I would look into your business model and I would essentially invest I actually have a whole thesis that I've written around it um of okay I, of the types of businesses I like to invest in so basically black female founders who are building things mm. that that use technology to enhance consumers experience mm. I'm really passionate about that I just don't want you to, I just I just don't want to invest in things that you don't know that's just about. that's just tech you know like you know you have like a lot yeah. of, um so yeah what makes an investment uh, and business and um, backable and investable by the way because that's i get different <sighs> views on this so th- i have i listen i'm <laughs> i still have a lot of Learning. conversations 
with VCs about this at the moment because who built that that playbook and what does that actually look like? At the moment, the way I understand it, I could be wrong, but the way I understand it is um, something that's, that could be a hockey stick, like a business that has a hockey stick type of growth. So you could be flat, 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 and you can shoot off because of, of the level of scalability. And a lot of times a business can be a lot more scalable pretty quickly when there's less operating expenditure. And a lot of times what that means is you don't have much hardware, you don't have much um, brick and mortar stuff to manage, it's normally software companies, right? Mm. Um, and this can scale up regardless of how, like no matter, like if if you don't have as much manpower, like, you don't need as much man. you don't need, it's not, there's not marginal um cost to manpower and its scalability mm. so one person potentially could scale you up so um so for example with my edtech platform if i was just stuck to boot camp that's not vc backable because it's just a consultancy contract model because it still needs i need to hire one more program manager in order to deliver for this but, client yeah. but now we're building this edtech platform it's software mm. that literally has people on it and like our you know if you know, let's say we onboarded a million women on there, mm. and organizations like yourselves wanted to have access to women, you would have access to that at a scalable rate. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, that's it's interesting because I've um, I've had conversations with various people that work in a similar space about what is backable, what isn't backable, and that's the theme. The theme is that yes, like tech technology, mm. that's the thing. And I even for my business, I haven't thought about a way to advance into technology because mm. I can't think of anything right now that makes complete sense. Right. I feel yeah. like it, I feel like it has to happen over time. Yeah. I wouldn't feel like I wouldn't force it. Mm. Would you, so with that being said, what would you encourage if there's someone that has a business that's working really well? So mm. consultancy service based, if there is a potentially a tech business they can go into, but they're not a hundred percent convinced about it, but it can make loads of money. Would you say, tell them to just go for it? Or would you say it's all more so about passion? What direction would you advise? I'm, I'm quite traditional when it comes to how you build businesses. Mm. So like I personally, like we've, we've never been backed by anybody. We've bootstrapped completely. So I'm, I really love when I see founders that go and do that, do it that way and test the market and understand the needs and the pain points of the market and then use that to build. So what you're, the way you're mm. doing it is actually mm. the right way to do it. Right, like, right. So actually... This is the pain point that my consumers have, and I'm, and I'm just gonna use tech as a tool mm. to really provide a solution for that pain point. Got you. And that's what's gonna scale, because exactly, a lot of yeah. a lot of VC backable businesses they start off with this nice tech idea, they start to build this B two B SaaS solution or this B two C SaaS solution or whatever solution it is that's empowered by tech, and they pump a lot of money into it, and they end up failing. Okay, because they started off from the tech aspects of things. When actually where you should be starting off is the customer. Mm. What does the customers actually want? Actually want. Because mm. you could build all this fancy tech and no one wants it. Exactly. So really figure out what the pain points are. Build like really small versions of the tech that you want that doesn't cost you much. And then see how your customers react to it. Because the worst thing you want, you spend all this money on the tech and no one wants it. Can you imagine? Because there's been apps that I that I recall back in the day, like before Instagram blew up, there mm. was um do you remember the other the, the video? 
app, the short video one. Is it? Is it? it starts with a V. Cleat or Veet or yeah, yeah. Vine. 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 <laughs> Was it Twitter word. bought Vine? Vine. Twitter actually bought Vine oh, and it bu- failed. Yeah. So, so and yeah. and when you think about it, because it made sense because video now is popping off. Like that mm. was the way they had they had the right idea, but the execution didn't work in the same way. Then there was Triller as well. Mm. Remember Triller? Mm. So, and again, oh very my similar gosh, Triller. To, yeah, similar to TikTok. TikTok. Yeah. So it's like it's about timing too. It's that's the thing. Mm. So it's like I don't want to do things something prematurely just because I want to get into SAS. And I think people mm. need to know that as well. Mm. They shouldn't just jump just for... Just for the band. I yeah. mean, like, you look at TikTok. I think TikTok was ByteDance or something like that. Yeah. Something. They're still called ByteDance from a corporate perspective anyway. But, like, it's also about you being stubborn with your vision. Like, TikTok has been around for years. Mm. Like, it used to be called Musical.ly. Oh, I don't know that. Yeah. So it used to be called Musical.ly. Um, when people used to do dance videos. And we thought it was so silly back then when Vine was around. Yeah. But now, like, it, I guess, again, serendipity, like, moments. So just keep going at it. Like, if you think that's what you need to do and you think it's going to work, don't don't, don't just do it because it's it's now the cool thing to do. Mm. Do it because you really believe in it. Yeah. And it all work yeah. out eventually. I mean, Amazon, like, if you've watched, the, you know, the, the, the movie, is it, called the, is it called? The Founder? The Founder, yeah. Mm. I think it's called The Founder. You actually look at, like, he was literally struggling for a long time. You know, they were loss making for a long time. Uber just became profit making. So like, it's just, it takes you just have to, yeah, you have to be ready, ready for this. Like, I don't, when people talk about entrepreneurial, they don't, they're not really ready for the, <laughs> the shots that it comes with. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like even today when I had my coaching session, mm-hmm. he was, he was telling me about key people that I need to hire for my business. Mm-hmm. And he was like, you need to invest in this. Otherwise, it's going to stay stagnant. 100%. And and a lot of, and I agree with him completely. But then it's the it's a risk factor, right? Yeah. Because you can hire the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Or they may not deliver in, this, in the way that you want them to mm-hmm. deliver in. Mm-hmm. So when you, when you invest into businesses, mm-hmm. do you help them with how they spend that investment? Or is that completely up to them? So actually, oh. in my training, oh, sorry. <laughs> in, okay. my, in my training and um, with Ada Ventures, yeah. we've been told not to advice no yeah advice but don't breathe on how they spend the money (laughs) um just leave the founder to to because you you've you've invested in because you trust them right you're investing in the founder um what i do like to advise on is like strategy and i i let i let the founder come to me for help and i like to build almost a bit of a friendly relationship with my investments even before i invest yeah yeah. they already trust me because the thing is you're only going to come to me even if you trust me, do you understand? As an investor. As an investor. Yeah. So I try to build that trust and build that human relationship with them, mm. you know, you know, to kind of say, look, this is what I can do for you. Let me introduce you here. And I'm, I'm value adding. And a lot of times as, as founders, we, we, we want more than the money. We actually want your support as well. Don't we? So, mm, mm. yeah, exactly. It's mm. a good way to look at it. Well, on that note as well, then. Yeah. So yeah. tell us, yes, Neo Hair. Right. So um, I mean, like this all started with Neo Hair, mm. like reluctantly, to be honest. Um, but like as I was kind of doing people's hair, like I always used to think there must be a more efficient way of doing this. So I was like, oh, like why don't we do like an? I've always had this big idea of mm. building an Uber and Siri for hair. So like when Siri first came, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Imagine if you could just voice command 
you know, Siri to like tell you what hairstyle to get, to get done. And one of my friends, there was a movie that came out. I can't remember the name of the movie. Issa Rae was in the movie. It was about this AI technology voice command thing that was basically helping the little girl. Oh, I can't remember the name. No, was it when the little girl was um, an adult for the... I think yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I know what you're talking about. She, she was an adult. I think so. Instead. Yeah, so when I was, when I was um, braiding lots of people's hair... I remember that I, I, I used to think there must be a more efficient way of doing this and also doing this whilst empowering others to do it as well. Mm. And I was like, imagine I want to build a, an Uber and Siri for hair. And that was that was actually what I was pitching at the time. That was, I guess, one of the hustles that I had in my brain. Mm. And remember I was talking to you about the man that saw me at that pitch. Yeah. And sent me. The, so I really, yeah. I really want... so. I I researched engineers and I was finding a lot of them in India and I just couldn't stand the fact that they didn't understand anything I was trying to do. So I was like, imagine if the people that I was trying to build it for were the ones that it. Build, it, build it. And that was genuinely the journey I wanted to go with, go down. Um, and so, yeah, the Issa Rae movie and one of my friends was like, oh my gosh, what you're, what you're trying to do sounds like the, the movie with, mm. with Issa Rae in it. Um, and um, so we, st- we went on this journey where we just built like a um a very small version on wordpress um where we built a bookings platform where you could literally customize your hair to, like your hair um the hair you wanted the level of chattiness you want what accessories you, it was really quite cool chattiness yeah like and it's, it's, on our, it's on our platform at the moment how much chat you want how from the hairdresser yeah <laughs> literally wow. um so at, that. at that time it wasn't like we, we were just again trying to test the concept and I watched a lot of how my customers reacted to it mm. and I realized that this was the good things that they liked and this was the things that they did like I didn't ask them questions and they said what do you think of the app I actually mm. just saw the behavior Mm-mm-mm. so yeah um when yeah when I when I was braiding hair um I you should always think there must be an effect a more effective way of doing this mm. a cooler way of doing this and also a way that empowers people and I remember um, I just had this idea of building an Uber and Siri for hair. Mm. I just had this dream. And so I created this um, this kind of WordPress solution where mm. where um, where um, we essentially like looked at the, the kind of needs of our customers. We, said, we allowed you to select the kind of hair color you wanted to style, the level of chattiness you wanted, the accessories you wanted to do your hair. And I just used to observe people's behaviors mm. of how they interacted with the solution that we had built. That was no, not necessarily an app, but it was just this really cool new platform. Mm. And I just interacted with them. And then COVID hit. How did you assess how they were interacting with it? Was it? So I was just seeing how they were scrolling past each process and whether they clicked onto things, things. and okay. And then looked at, okay, cool, this they don't like. Because people aren't going to tell you, oh my gosh, it's cool. Or like if you get, ask them for a survey, they're not going to tell you. Or they're not. Sometimes people just don't remember. Yeah, they just they just have the feeling of how it made them feel. Mm. So I just watched their behavior, and I'd read the book Hooked at the time by Nera Yao. It's such a great book. Anyone that's trying to build products, um, tech products, do read that book. It will change your mind on a lot of things. But mm. so I started to look into it, um, and COVID hit, um, and at the same time COVID hit. Um, we also were, I was also kind of expanding our product side of the business. So we couldn't service customers. Mm. Um, and before COVID here, we were training 
about 10 stylists at, the, at that time mm. to service some of our clients. We hit a lot of quality issues, like, because in the black hair industry, everybody's, st- like, the standards are very different. Mm. And so co- that COVID time really allowed us to take a backseat to see, okay, how do we now do this properly and set this, like, and do look at all the lessons that we've learned mm. and build this in the way that we wanted to build it. And we knew that um, we would sell products to our, our clientele, we sell hair steamers today. We sell like hair products today. Make it an e-commerce store to still, still make money. Mm. Um, but we started to like really empower and upskill stylists. Right. In, during COVID time, we used to do lots of events online, and then I started to, to write, help them with yeah, doing hair better. Yeah, and just being professional and things. Mm. Um, and then we start, I started to write a curriculum on Afro hair, um, and I had this dream of okay. Why can't I use that bootcamp experience and actually do the same for Afro hair? Um, and so, yeah, like we knew that we needed to kind of essentially create maybe like an accredited course for Afro hair, and those people essentially work in in us as stylists, mm. whether as mobile stylists or in our um, hair salons. Mm. Um, and now um, we're building kind of like all of that experience now allowed us to know that. We wanted to build like an AR and AI powered salon, but not just one, but like a flagship of salons. Imagine just McDonald's kind of franchise system but mm. for hair, but also and also underpinned by really powerful technology and software technology. Mm. Um, and what's the AR stuff? You know, that Siri thing that I was talking about earlier on, but this is like, you can actually try on hairstyle, see what it looks like on you. Mm. And then using that, you, you can book book services. Um, but eventually we would it, the kind of technology we would to learn your preferences mm. to now recommend hairstyles for you so if you're saying hi i'm hi i'm Alicia. i'm trying to go to a wedding can you recommend me the name of the technology is called jora jora can you recommend me a hairstyle where, where does jora come from jora in your it's actually a yoruba um meaning it means look like me okay um, so right. jora recommend me a hairstyle it's a little serious it's so yeah. alexa because <laughs> she will start talking. <laughs> Sorry. See, I mean, I, 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 I told you. Um, so yeah, so we, you say, Jara, can you recommend me this? Amazing. This this stuff for a wedding. So eventually, our like the generative AI will be able to do that. Um, but yeah, okay. so I say all that. Say like you know that's what we were building. Um, and we were meant to launch in June of this year, but we've had a lot of challenges because no one's built this like what we're building before. Like. We've looked it's completely new. It's completely new, so we had to build it ourselves from scratch. So we're mm. we're still battling with the AR technology mm. to make sure that it's real. It's kind of like real life, and it also can have that generative AI aspect to it. So we're still going to launch just on our book with the booking side of the platform, mm. without the AR side first in October. Um, and you know, it's in a really beautiful pink salon. I don't know if you've seen it in Birmingham. Um, and we want to kind of re- replicate that salon experience everywhere, as many, as many locations as we want, as we see That's across it. the world. Um, so you still get that quality hair appointment because we've trained the ladies. Um, we've you know by they've been trained by like really kind of really solid professionals in the, in the hair hair space. That's amazing. Thank you. That's amazing. Do you so do do you cover all types of hair? So. All- all types of like afro hair so yeah so it's yeah all types of afro hair um at the moment but but like we we're, when we've done a lot of research mm. it's like everyone that is really like wanting to kind of get that experience for their hair so for all people so mm. everyone everyone who wants to get afro hairstyles mm. 
um, but also um, because a lot of our ladies will have learned to cut and colour, all types of women can actually come to our salon to get their hair done. Right, okay. Preferences, yeah. Okay. I, I see you wear this hairstyle quite a lot. You like a bob, don't you? <laughs> yes, I do. That's your preference? Yes, yes, yes. Um, Yes, I like a bob and I'm very particular on my hair and what I do with it. I don't wear human hair. Um, you don't per- wear human hair? Personally, no. Why? So, um, I just, ethically, I don't, like, I, I need to know where my hair comes from. Basically. Oh, is it? Yeah. So where do you think synthetic hair comes from? It comes from some from synthetic fibers. So I know that the source of it is from plastic. I d- I don't know where the human hair is sourced from most really? of the time. Really? Yeah. I mean, I, if I don't know, I I don't want to wear it, right? Um. So yeah. Is, but but why is it is it for ethical reasons or is it because of like hygiene or like what's the reason? It's more ethical reasons because oh. I I feel like there needs to be I need to have a more transparent supply. Ch- I need to understand. The, where it's come from and how it's got in here. Um, that's noble. Like that's just me personally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's noble. And I don't necessarily force that on people. I don't really like. Yeah. Um. And so the hair that I'm wearing is actually hair that we've I've been testing for a while. Um. So it's like ventilated hair. So like there's no tracks in my in my in this hair at all. So it's completely ventilated. It's single strands. So if you open it, it's completely. Um. So it's like single stranded. Um, like a wig yeah ah yeah okay so it's, it's no, there's no tracks it's just ventilated do wigs have tracks wigs, wigs do have tracks we sew it on yeah yeah, yeah they, this do, is they do sorry I'm, I'm I'm acting very very <laughs> non-black at the moment because I, I've kind of had a wig for a minute so yeah. I, I was trying yeah. to trying to work it out okay so you like you love a synth- synthetic bob anything else that you like to rock um, yes, I'd like to rock my natural hair and love braids. I absolutely love braids. Um, but actually, if one of the things for us in our, in the salon that we have, we want to be able to create. I mean, we are already working on it. That all of the hair extensions that we have is is is, is done from an ethical source. Um, so, as much as I'm wearing synthetic hair now, I would love to create plant based hair. I mean, there's a lot of solutions out there like that at the moment. But um, so I know that actually, this is like really really kind of moving society forward so because the blueprint of neo like in terms of like how we like to operate is people profit planet and purpose Mm. um so wanting to make sure that everything that we do is underpinned around that that's really that's really special that you're that you're caring enough about the planet because a lot of companies don't think about it yeah to be honest yeah and you're actually you're, you're thinking you care yeah yeah why do you care about the planet i think um we're just we're stewards of this planet and so how we use it is how how sustainable it's going to be right so so yeah that's why i care but also i look at the effects of i mean from like from like um the fact that when i'm done with this hair it's gonna go to landfill and it's just gonna cause more pollution and it's going your current hair like yeah like synthetic hair really it'll cause more pollution yeah because it's, it doesn't oh. it, it doesn't degrade. It's not biodegradable. A lot of our hair is not biodegradable. So then, isn't it better just to get human hair? And I have a problem with that because of the, the ethical ethics. the ethics. I just don't know. Like, and also, some people have sacrificed their hair to their gods, and now I'm wearing it. <laughs> I, I, like, I'm yeah. I, I like I I don't know where it's come from. I can't trace the source of it. At least with this, and I'm not saying that it's it's a it's a better it's it's a it's a lesser of two evils. It's just more 
with this, at least I can recycle the hair. And, I, you know, it can be used again. Right, um, And it can be recycled again and again and used for clothing and things like that. So, yeah. You're very interesting. <laughs> In what sense? I've never met anyone like you before. Really? Oh, wow. Yeah. No, like, again, a lot of the guests that I have on the show are very different. Every, yeah. Everyone's different and unique. And every, but you're just very special. Like, even okay. from, um, you're talking about when you was a child and yeah. getting involved in, you know, non alcohol thing from 14 and you've you have this um noble willingness and actually i think you deserve to be nigeria president <laughs> now you, you you deserve and it's never too late it's not too late you know i think i think i'm i think you know what like i actually feel like i'm going to end up becoming something like that i'm going to end up in doing in something politics. in politics mm. i feel like the, my path is already leading me there somehow um in terms of like the relationships i'm building um but it it's I don't want to jump into it right now. It's right it's now. something for later on. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. I hear you. I have a dream of getting into Jamaican politics when I'm like maybe forty nine, fifty. <laughs> yeah, like, me too. Actually. Like 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 a bit a bit older. Older, yeah. Yeah, when yeah. you have a lot of experience. Just, yeah, yeah, especially because it's I'm specifically back home because mm. you know the impact you can potentially have with your ex, with your experience. Exactly. So yeah, Jamaica and Nigeria, we're coming for you. We're coming. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, <laughs> But um, is, are there any words of encouragement to people out there that are afraid to start? They've got a brilliant idea. Yeah. They don't have any money. They don't have the resources around them. Is there any words of encouragement that you can share at all? So if you listen to my story, you realise that I have used what I had. You know, I've not always had all the resources available. In mm. fact, now, as I'm talking to you, for everything that we're building, I've talked about the AI and AI, I've talked about the EdTech platform. We don't have the money to do that but we're, we're just using what we have um so i would say that if you want to start use what you have use what, what you have around you you'd be surprised of how much you can do with that mm. um sometimes obsessed with being perfect mm. start small and then allow that to kind of grow and allow the kind of effect from that starting small that kind of rainbow effect i like to call it mm. to, to allow you to blossom in terms of being scared do you know what? Fear is a normal feeling that we all have. Mm. Like, If anyone told you that they don't get scared, they're lying to you. Mm. Um, it's a normal feeling, but allow it to um, drive you into purpose. Allow it to um, feel the fear and do it anyways, essentially what mm. I'm trying to do, say. But don't allow it to, to sink you down. Um, there's this quote I used to always say back in 2014 or 15. Um I say fear means um, false evidence appearing real or fear is a dwarf that poses as a giant. It's literally a small dwarf. And I look at, that's my story. Like whenever I felt fear, it's literally a dwarf. And you look it's back, not real. it's not real. It's like, a, so look at it and actually face it and move forward. With it. And if you fail, you learn so much more than you're not doing it at all. 100%. Right? Um, I don't know, like if I failed Neo Group, if like Neo Group failed today, like, the amount of accolades that has come with my failure um, is much better than me not doing, exactly. running it at exactly. all. Like, I know the amount of job offers that will probably be running at me mm. <laughs> if I failed building yeah. it um, or the amount of opportunities I could enter into yeah. because of the relationships I had built yeah. if I failed. So like, I, I don't lose anything. Exactly. You've yeah. always got something to gain, whether it's knowledge yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh. 
oh, I thought someone went on my Skype. Or my I get scared sometimes. But, um, but thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story, no for sharing your experiences. And your time is so valuable. I don't think thank people realise how valuable people's time is. And yeah. I really appreciate it. So thank, thank you, you for so having much. me. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. No worries at all. Everyone clap at home <laughs> for Oyen. Yes. All right. And the team as well. Yes, and 100%. please share this. This is going to inspire at least one person. And if it does, then we've done our job. Just at least one person. So share it. Leave a comment. I'll leave some of Oyen's details, her website, everything. So if you want to book her for a talk, if you want to book her for anything, a panel, yeah. whatever it is in future, feature her in your magazine, front cover, all of that, <laughs> reach out. Because yeah. she's doing incredible things and she's about to be the future president of Nigeria. So <laughs> I've, I've got her on the podcast so I'm excited. <laughs> Thank I you. Love so. it. No, thank, thank you for having me. No, no worries. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Take care, everyone. Bye bye. Bye.